1: Welcome to the Chronic Podcast with host Ralph Malbro and featuring bloggers Andrew Juge of the SaintsNation.com, Kevin Held of the Team Drops the Ball,
0: and Dave Cariello of Canal Street Chronicles. This podcast is nothing but
1: serious football talk and hardcore analysis.
2: Alright, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. As always, we're sponsored by the Pelican House in Baton Rouge, uh, 2672 City Place Court, Baton Rouge. Go there, watch LSU Regionals. You should support them because they can support us. Um, Andrew will tell you, this is the most exciting I've been about an interview ever at the podcast. We got my old friend, Mike Dettelier. I was Buddy D. I had the privilege to be Buddy D.'s last producer, and it's been 10 years since he went off the air. I asked Mike, I said, Mike... Come talk to us on the podcast, please, and tell us somebody these stories, and we'll talk about the Saints draft. And Mike was nice enough to say, of course, Mike, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Ralph.
2: Um, You know, the thing about – before we started this interview, I was telling Mike, you know, I went to LSU, but my master's degree in how to cover a football team and how to look and how to peer – Two years with Buddy D. He could he could discern saints and and filter out the the BS they were talking about. And he always says, "Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do, and watch how these coaches and these front office people act and say what they say when the Saints struggle." And it's all these things. And I still I still remember what Buddy D. told me, and it's 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 interesting. But Mike, for people that are under twenty five, they might not know him. But explain to to. To the people, how Buddy D, how he covered the Saints and how he just he just he, the way he the way he acted and the way he ran his show and 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 believed that how you should cover the Saints.
1: Well, first of all, Buddy was there from day one. Yeah, um, and Buddy was a newspaper writer uh, covering LSU in the NFL uh, before the NFL came to New Orleans. Yeah. And all of a sudden, um, ABC has a local spot, and they hire Buddy, who is the most unconventional speaker <laughs> for television because he pronounced more words than you could possibly imagine. Um, and he, he got on ABC. Now, early on, Buddy was a big believer in the Saints and what they were doing, but it didn't take very long, three to four years into it, he could see where the ownership was not right, and that he knew that he needed to speak out for the fan who really couldn't. The biggest misconception of Buddy was that he hated the Saints, which was totally untrue. I knew him as well as anybody the last 15 years of his life, and he was as big a Saints fan as there was. But in essence, I think he was the this one there there is no doubt, to point out the failures of this football team early on in the organization. And he pointed the finger where it needed to be pointed, at ownership, general manager, some of the head coaches that were there, some of the personnel decisions were terribly wrong, and he went at it. Now, Pete Finney did it in a different way. Yeah, Pete was a surgeon that could dissect you piece by piece. Buddy hit you with a sledgehammer. And the thing with with Pete was he would take out the part and move on. Now, Buddy hit you with the sledgehammer, continued to hit you with it to the point where he mashed you into pieces. And that's the part that got him in a lot of trouble, that he continually would hammer and hammer and hammer away. Uh, It was a different world of covering sports back then, but he felt as though that he should speak. For so the average fan who had no voice, no say, that a lot of people who were buying season tickets were putting off maybe buying a home appliance, maybe buying a brand new car, maybe something of a trip that they would take to spend on the football team, and that they weren't getting value for what they were paying for. He spoke out before anyone did. Yeah, and, and I all, give him full credit.
2: And also, too, Mike, he had, because, I mean, when he was at WWL, WWL, they're still, you know, you you knew it. Bobby's still number one, and, and, and it's a great ratings. But let me tell you, I saw those books when Buddy was there. From five to eight, five to seven, and if, you know, if they had LSU or whatever, he was a ratings juggernaut. And so he could dictate to WWL, and he could dictate to the Saints, and he could say, look, uh... I'm not. I'm going to cover it this way, and if you don't like it, tough. And that's a that's a cache, um, a cachet, Mike. That I don't think the Saints nowadays they let people have, or even media in New Orleans or or a lot of cities. They don't have that where they have a guy that's so I wouldn't say powerful, but popular and has. Authority to where he can challenge a team. They're just they, those guys. They don't they don't have those anymore.
1: Well, you know, the crazy part about all this was early two thousands. The books were so enormously high for Buddy in WWL that him and I actually went to Bristol. Yeah. To interview. Yeah. For back to back years, we went. Yeah. They were looking for someone to basically come behind and do uh, the 10 or the 9 to 12 slot. And so we went. The first year, I think, was just kind of a meet and greet with us. Mm-hmm. The second year was much more on a serious side of possibly getting us to go uh, and be involved with it. Uh, the realization of Buddy's age at that point uh, kind of t- took us out of the picture but it was interesting because of what you said about the ratings. We, we were there back-to-back back years, and um, he passed away in '05. But in 06, um they reached back out to me about doing something involved with him. So, yeah, you know, he had power. Um, it's a little bit different today because of the different networks you can get information from. The buddy was must-listen-to-radio. Uh, you know, he was the type of guy that you didn't know what you were going to get day to day. And if he was edgy that day, (laughs) you really got the full double load of DeLiberto, and he was not afraid to pull the punch. But he never saw the Peyton era in which of winning on a consistent basis. He didn't see that part. He caught – you know the Hazlitt, and Dica and Stram and that sort of situation all so the way up to Tom Fierce and J.D. Roberts, and, and you can kind of go on and on. And that there was little success there. I think the only guy he really felt had a had a
3: shot. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.
1: To win here before was Bum. I think he felt early on, even though he was against the move with Bum, I think he felt the accumulation of talent that Bum had a shot. But then, you know, that, that moment kind of passed, yeah. uh, you know, missing the playoffs and that sort of thing. And I think he felt, you know, that, that coaching had passed Bum. And even mm-hmm. Bum admitted it later that, you know, he probably should have left a year earlier. So Buddy was right on that, uh, yeah. on that part, but he did feel Bum had the best shot to win here of any of the coaches that were there before because he didn't really know Sean. He passed away before, but. Yeah, it's, it's a different it was a different world and he was very powerful and coming on from that four to eight time frame and he was must listen to radio because you weren't sure what you were gonna get from day to day and here was the crazy part, I think even management didn't know what to <laughs> hear. Day to day because they would come like, in again, and went, if he was edgy, man, you didn't know what you were They would get.
2: come in and say, What's the topic today? And minding a buddy <laughs> My thing with Buddy is, we would always try. I would always try to get Buddy away from the sort of the question of who's going to play linebacker. Like an example would be, they would come in and say, "Why don't y'all ask the, the listeners a question of who's going to play linebacker?" And I and, and Buddy would say, "That's not that interesting." So then we'd hit it, would fl- would flush it out, and he'd say, "You know what? We're going to talk today about how they're terrible at tackling, and I'm just going to go and and, and and you watch the light. The, the the lines are going to light up." And he would do it, and it would we'd be like wow but but Mike before we get to the 2015 Saints I'm gonna tell you my favorite buddy D story and then you tell me yours so my one of my favorite ones was he was due to coach's show for Hazlitt, right he would go and he, he would he would do it sometimes in the media room uh, that was right after they they were still successful and they had a couple of Saints people come down. I'm not going to name their names. And they would, like, ask questions and look around. And then they would leave, and Buddy would be like, did you notice that, Ralph? I'm like, what? He's like, oh, they come down. They they want to spy on us, and they want to figure out what we're going to talk about if we're going to blast Hazlitt before he comes on. He says, and you know what? When you have an organization where the head coach sends people in to spy on the radio show, that means they're never going to win anything. And I was like, wow. And it's just one of my favorite stories. Oh, oh. You know, so do you have a f- a favorite Buddy D story that's either funny or just throwing out for us before we get to the 15 Saints?
1: Well, I'll say this: uh, one of the funnier ones was the Dante Stalworth pick. Um, <laughs> in my draft book, uh, I had the Saints picking Dante Stalworth. At that time, we would meet Randy Mueller days before the draft. The draft would start on a Saturday. And so we would meet Randy on the Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, We met Randy that Wednesday and spoke about possibilities of who would be there and who they were interested in. And Randy told me because he had asked me to send one of my books to him. And he said, Mike, if Saul was there, we're going to pick him. But I I don't think he's going to be there. And so he said, we've gotten some other options. And he said the two options we're looking at is one is Jeremy Shockey, the tight end from Miami. He said the other guy is Philip Buchanan, the cornerback, uh, from Miami and Florida. He said, our defensive coaches are really pushing, but he said, if Stalwart's there, he's the pick. The first time I heard buddy say, uh, Dante (laughs) Stalpepper, he said it twice. And Randy looked at me, and we just kind of looked back and forth. Uh, and so I told him, I said, listen, if you get a shot late in the draft, pick T.J. Zada <laughs> from Oregon State. And, and he was like, you really like him? I said, yeah. And you just heard he couldn't say Stallworth. What the hell is he going to do with Zada? And Randy <sighs> busts out laughing. And you know that Buddy didn't hear real well, so to speak, toward the end. So he didn't know what we were laughing at. And um, so I just go back to that point where it was the first time I heard him say Stall Pepper, and um, he said it twice. So we are doing the show early that morning, and the way it's falling, it looks as though Stallworth is going to be there. So two picks ahead of that, Buddy's like, uh, listen, change your deal on Stallworth and say you think that they may be leaning towards Buchanan. And I said, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? He said, no, he said, just just do what I'm, I'm asking. I said, all right. So I brought up Buchanan and all that. So buddy's betting with people in the audience? $1 $5, $30, $15, $10. I'll bet you, he said, the Saints are going to pick Dante Stalwart. So... He ended up I think it ended up being like two hundred and thirty seven dollars worth of bets. Well ends up the Saints end up picking Stalwart and right as the announcement came on about the Saints Tennessee wide receiver Dante Stalwart, buddy Blue out. And the Saints have picked up, just like I've been saying, Dante Stallpecker. Dante <laughs> stallpecker from, And, I mean, everybody's laughing. And so at this point, he's like, why is everybody laughing? Because I said, you said stallpecker, not work And he said, there's no way I said that. So we go to break and he said, well, maybe I did. <laughs> I said, I know you did. Oh, man. So uh, everybody's laughing about it. And so here was the funniest part. We in the parking lot leaving that night, and Buddy's trying to figure out how to uh, share two hundred and thirty-seven dollars. <laughs> the math, of how to break up two hundred thirty-seven dollars two ways. He said, "No, no." He said, "You know, we gotta, we gotta break that up to two hundred thirty-seven dollars." And it, it was classic Gilberto. yet he had to have a little bit of an angle. Yeah. On it, gambling wise, which was part of his persona. <laughs> the other part is we did seven years at Old Casino Magic and Brett Favre's father, Irvin Favre, was part of that. He would come in on Mondays and give us uh, just a little talk about Brett and the Saints and that sort of thing. And, you know, Irvin was an old uh, high school coach, and and he actually had some arena league uh, coaching experience. And uh, two weeks before Irvin passed away, um, he's doing a show with us, and he takes his headphones off, and he says, Mike, I've been doing this for, what, seven years? Buddy has never spoke to me one word off the air. He said, as soon as we stop the segment, he's on the phone gambling. <laughs>
2: of course he is.
1: <laughs> and, and so he's talking in This is bg one two four. you know, calling up about the odds for the Monday night game and, and college game So, I mean, in it, classic Gilberto, but the stalwart so pecker deal, uh, that ranks pretty close to the top of, well, of things he was up to. And then trying to gamble on the fact that they would pick him who was even well, better Well, uh, part of that.
2: Well, the one thing was people would always ask me, why does Buddy why does he get so upset about preseason games with the Saints? I'm like, because he gambles on the games.
1: He That's gambling why. on preseason. Listen, the craziest thing uh, I ever got involved with, with him was that Senior Bowl one year. Um, man, <clears throat> one squad was really loaded with talent. And, and so I'm telling him this. And he was like, "Wow, that might be a, an angle there." So, well, buddy, you know, you know these these postseason games, and all you got to be careful with them. He's like, "You know, but you're telling me there's a lot of talent." So, yeah, it is, but that doesn't really equate to because none of these guys have played together. Well, he ended up betting on the team with the most talent, they ended up losing the game, so <laughs> that that ended his betting on East West Line or, or Senior Bowl <laughs> that sort of thing. But even that. Um, uh, I had a friend of mine who, Shane Sellers, ended up being one of the top jockeys in America in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s before he had a knee injury. Shane and his family lived three homes away from me when he was a youth. So I, first time I ever got on a horse was Shane's brother. And so we, so I, I use Shane pretty well. Shane comes in New Orleans has a couple races that he's involved with and, uh, but he gets him on the phone with me. Before he put Shane on, we hadn't spoken in a couple, three years. He's like, listen, Max, Shane, if he has, you know, a horse that he really likes in the next race. I was like, well, you're standing right next to him. Why don't you ask? He said, well, he says he doesn't have a good feel for the horse. He's <laughs> like, well, why is he going to tell me if he's telling you this? But that was typical, Buddy, of always trying to get a little bit of an angle on something, but, you know, from people change races in south africa or australia <laughs> cricket matches you name it buddy always had coin riding oh something every day baseball he was religious about the pitching rotation and that sort of thing so and basketball and this wasn't football but uh, he was uh he was a connoisseur of uh, always having what he would call a sweat bet. yeah that a, a gamble that he wasn't sure on, but it was it wasn't the thrill of winning, Ralph. It was the thrill of the gamble. Yeah, and yeah. that was the crazy part because I've been around guys that that gamble, but they their priority is winning. With the thing was it was the excitement of putting the money down. Yeah, he was he was a one of a kind cat.
2: Yeah. Um, we got Andrew Juge with us, and he is uh, from Saints Nation. Andrew, let's get into the 2015 Saints. I know you have a couple of questions for Mike.
0: Yeah, well, first off, guys, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. And you know, as a, as a you know, Ralph and I, Mike tend to think of ourselves as Saints historians, at least from the 80s on, and certainly. As a kid in New Orleans, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, driving to the games, you know, the, the ritual of listening to Buddy and, and hearing these stories that you guys have is great. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we do want to talk about the 2015 Saints. And real quick, uh, you know, for the Saints fans out there that don't know you and listen to this podcast, uh, you know, I would say that New Orleans is fortunate to have uh, an analyst and someone that knows the game as well as you do. And really, in my opinion, there's no one in the city uh, that has a feel for the draft and, of course, the Saints roster and all that stuff too, but but specific to the draft, you have a book that you do um, that I highly recommend. Any any Anyone interested in the draft, anyone interested in the research, uh, purchase this book and check it out, but uh, you're definitely a, an NFL draft expert. And so this was a big one for the Saints here in 2015, and I think if you look at their picks uh, – Uh, There's two picks in particular that I want your thoughts on, specifically because I think these two picks kind of got the most fan discontent. Uh, In other words, the fans kind of freaked out the most about these picks, one being Andrus Pete, and I, I think the biggest reason for the Pete pick being met with some displeasure in the fan base is the Saints already have two tackles on their roster, they already have two starters, and so... Uh, I think the general fan sentiment, and I don't agree with this, but I think the general fan sentiment is we already have two starters. He can't help us in year one. The second pick, obviously, is the Garrett Grayson one, and I think part of that is Drew Brees. Part of that is you have McCown and Griffin on the roster who are solid backups that people feel okay about. Um, So your thoughts on those two picks, and do you agree with the fan sentiment that these were poor picks for the Saints?
1: Well, with Andrews Pete, it came down best player on the board. I have no doubt that had Danny Shelton not been picked by Cleveland, one pick ahead, that's what the Saints wanted. They wanted Shelton, the big defensive tackle from Washington. Uh, But he went to Cleveland. And I get my old buddy Carly McCord, uh, who's a Louisiana gal, but she's based in Cleveland. She called just months ago that Cleveland would pick Danny Shelton. And so – you know, with Pete, my thing about it is, off, this off season. what has it been about offensively? It's about protecting your most prized possession on the team, and that's Drew Brees and getting running game going. And I'm all about putting the five best offensive linemen out on the field. I know Zach Streep's a veteran and a team captain and all this stuff. But you know what? For him to help this football team this year, move inside the guard. I'm about putting the five best offensive linemen out on the field. Andrews Pete's a pure tackle. He's a right tackle, and that's where he's going to play year one. And if I can move Zach inside, which I think is going to be the eventual situation, you don't say that right off the bat to the vet, but you have him have an understanding to, to have this team be the very best it is in his best interest and the team's best interest to move inside. Last year, there was a lot of edge pressure and also interior pressure. You helped yourself out and get Max Unger, who's a real big-time center. Now you, you can bring in an Andrews Pete, young kid, 21 years old, won't turn 22 until November 4. So I understand the Saints fans uh, – thoughts about getting defensive, but you've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars putting up a board. And if your board says Andrew Speaks the best guy, that's how you go with it at that point. And it was a neat position. You can't tell me offensive line was a strength for the Saints in 2014 or uh, even in 2013. It Not wasn't. if you watch Bryce Harris play. And so my thing about his – I uh, called Dunbar is the first one to tell me this at the Nichols offensive lineman camp. And he was the defensive line coach for the Jets. And he said, we figured the Saints out. He said, we blow up the inside. He said, they, they can't block us, the interior. That centers and guards can't do it. And he said, we blew up Drew Brees' launch pad. And he said, everybody will copy what we did last year. They'll copy that in 2014. Uh, it was interesting how that pressure came right up the middle. So if I can move Zach Street inside, and now I've brought in Max Unger, I've helped that, and Pete is natural at that right tackle position. I know he's played left, but the right tackle spot, I think, is his natural spot in the NFL. Uh I don't have any qualms with it. My thing about it is, and if you think that Garrett Grayson or Ryan Griffin or McCown is going to win you games as Drew Brees goes down, you are kidding yourself. That's not happening in 2015. My thing is to protect Drew Brees and run the football better. And I think that you go back to the the better teams the Saints have had, when it was 06, with Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush. You go back in 09 with that offensive line, the same thing in 2011, which I thought was the best Saints team I've seen. They had the ability to run the football when they needed to and had to, and they protected Drew Brees. You've got to get back to that. And with a 30 Five plus year old Drew Brees, Uh, you got to do what you got to do to protect him. Garrett Grayson is a future pick. This is the guy Sean Payton thinks eventually will take Drew Brees' spot. Uh, We're not talking about 2015 or 2016. We're looking down, way down the road here. But he's playing in a pro style system. Uh, All I know is along with the coaching of dear McElwane, Gary Grayson really raised the level of Colorado State football. If he can be the CEO of this team, I'm not sure uh, if he can or he can't. But he's not a lead option or a zone option quarterback. He did it in high school, but he played pro-style his entire career at Colorado State. The adjustment is much easier. When I look at it today, this read option or zone kind of read offense has been in place now eight or nine years. Maybe one guy in the professional level has, has come out of that big. Cam Newton is the only guy you could even say is close. Mm-hmm. Robert Griffin got the stuffing kicked out of him <laughs> in Washington. He got the stew kicked out of him. Marcus Mariota will have the same situation happening in Tennessee. Uh, so all I'm telling you is that Grayson's got a shot. Uh, the big question, Mark, is can he be the CEO of this team down the line? But he's a futures pick. If you didn't have nine picks, you wouldn't have done that. And even Peyton brought that up. So I think while he's not a help this year and not a help going to be a help next year barring an injury, he's your insurance policy. You know the one thing I think of is the coach. When Peyton Manning went down, that team went down quicker than the Titanic. And so, why wouldn't if you think that that Griffin on McCown is is doing for you, you, you're lucky to win four games with him at quarterback. You'd be fortunate. Well, Mike, pick the guy now. Pick the guy now.
2: Yeah. Well, Mike, um, bringing up that point for the draft, what was a, a guy that was there? in a round that you really thought, man, I wish the Saints would have got him?
1: You're one of the guys with Sammy Coates. Uh, I really like Sammy. I know they, they brought him in. And he was a guy in the third round. I thought that's what the Saints were going to fit. Uh, he's a big, thickly built receiver, great speed. Uh, he's a home run hitter. Has averaged over 21 yards a catch the last two seasons at Auburn. Uh, and so he was a guy that I really liked uh, at that point in time. And uh, so um, I kind of banged the table on that guy in, in the third round. I really Mike, that. you, you
0: mentioned – so it's interesting you mentioned receiver because I think most of us felt that that was a position the Saints had to address in the draft, and they don't. And so now you look at the depth chart, you look at the roster, and I think we all feel good that Brendan Cooks is going to be a good player you know what you have in Marcus Colston. He's maybe declining a little, but he's still a guy that can perform. Um, but now the Saints kind of have their eggs in the Nick Toon, Shontavious Jones, Brandon Coleman basket, and you really need at least one, if not two, of those guys to pan out. Um, so how do you feel – so you mentioned Sammy Coates. The Saints don't take a receiver. How do you feel about these guys that are kind of in that three to six slot right now in the depth chart? Do you feel like any of these guys can step up and become that playmaking receiver for the team consistently?
1: I have no confidence in Nick Toon. Uh, You've given him every opportunity, and he's been a major disappointment. Uh, Brandon Coleman, I've watched him since he was in high school. Um, It's not the fact he's got bad hands. He's got good hands, but his concentration level has never been stellar. He'll make two great catches and then drop two easy catches. And we saw that in OTAs and training camp before, that he'll do that. Uh, the one OTA I was able to watch this week, he caught the ball very, very well. Who's intriguing to me is St. because physically, man, when you're going to see him, wow, he's got a body that he has really built up in the weight room physically. Uh, and I thought he was a little bit slow to get off the snaps as a receiver, getting into and out of his cuts and breaks. I... I just in the kind of slippers and pajamas world of OTAs, he was getting off the line of scrimmage much quicker uh, than he was a year ago. But, man, physically, he is really, really put together. Uh, Sintegas is a guy that I wouldn't keep a close eye on because certainly he passes the eyeball test. He catches the ball well, out front with his hands. And he's a big receiver. With Coleman, you got what you got, I think, eventually. uh you know, I think he, he, that's your emerald. That's the way you're going to be. You're going to have moments, You'll catch passes uh, spectacularly and then drop an easy one. With Nick, it's, he's been all uh, green bra or all airline highway, but <laughs> you put him in a regular season game, he's done squat. So um, I just hope that maybe the light would come on to him, but he hasn't shown me that all of a sudden now he's going to click the switch and he's going to become a big-time player. I am impressed with Jones. Um, I think St. Fabius has got a shot here. And I know the type of player Brandon Coleman is. All the stuff about he's got four hands is incorrect. It's his concentration level. A lot of times he's trying to turn up the field before he catches the ball or he doesn't secure it well. But um, it's an area from a depth standpoint that is a major concern. And this is the last year of Marcus Colston in New Orleans. He won't be back in 2016, and I don't think Jari Evans will be back in wow. 2016. You look at the numbers and the age on those two players, I don't think even one of them are returning next year. So, it's a roster that has gotten old. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, I live across the street from an old NFL coach, and he brought this up to me early last season. He said, you know, it's the first sign of an old team They don't finish games.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you
1: know what? Saints couldn't do it last year. They could I'm not sure. finish games. So and my, so I think that that's been a part of what they have tried to do this off season, is to get veterans, but also younger guys that can help this football team. And they need they need a um, kind of a Groundhog's Day version of 2006 draft <laughs> with this draft class.
2: Well, Mike, that the off season you bring up a good point in that you know teams every off season teams make moves and you know. 2006 is kind of like Haley's Comet, where everything the Saints did it was just blackjack, blackjack, blackjack. But if you know they tried to improve the line this year, they they added a corner. We'll get to that in a second. But if I said to you, Mike, what two moves that the Saints made either in the draft, pick pick one in the draft and pick one in free agency, that's gotta work out, or they're not making the playoffs. Because all the moves aren't gonna work uh, out. Uh,
1: I'll say free agent wise, CJ Spiller. I think last year, this football team really missed Darren Sproles. The matchup to go down field with a speedy running back up against a linebacker or a safety. They didn't have that. Pierre was a terrific screen pass receiver. but I'm talking about in the deeper part of the field, Sproles could do it. He was a nightmare to cover. C.J. Spiller is faster than, than Darren Sproles. Uh, hopefully he can stay healthy. but And you put him on turf now. He's playing in mm-hmm. Buffalo. And his mighty cold in November and December in Buffalo, but you put him on that turf and see how he can handle it. He's a major part of eating up to the catches that Jimmy Graham had. Uh, I think that if he stays healthy, he's a guy that could catch 75 balls as a receiver coming out of the backfield. And there is no linebacker or safety that can match up with CJ Stiller downfield. So he is really important for them. Uh, as far as offensively moving the football and defensively is Stefan Anthony. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, a big thumper inside at that might linebacker spot can cover really well. And we saw it in the OTAs. He turned around, and made a great interception. But he's a guy that's outstanding against the run, very physical. He reminds me a lot of Bobby Wagner when he came out of Utah State and now he has become one of the best middle linebackers in pro football with the Seattle Seahawks. Those two moves have to make it for this football team. I know what Brandon Browner is as a cornerback. I think Delvin Bro is a great addition also uh, as the number three guy. But they needed a guy in the middle. They needed a guy that's going to take over and be that temper and that physical presence they have not had in the middle. People comparing him to Jonathan Gilman, he's not like Gilman. Gilder was a smaller inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, Stephon Anthony is a big man in the middle. They haven't had anything like him talent-wise. you got to go back to Vaughn Johnson. From a physical standpoint, he got overshadowed at Clemson because of Dick Beasley. Yeah. Dick was well, the well, my, guy Mike, got all the, the, because of the pass rush and the, the sacks. But Anthony was terrific patrolling that inside for that Tiger defense.
0: Well, Mike, I'm glad you brought up the the cornerbacks um, because it's interesting. Obviously, the Saints lose Patrick Robinson. They lose Corey White. But all of a sudden, you feel like there's a little bit of a logjam at cornerback now because you look at that position. Of course, you have Keenan Lewis coming back. You sign in Wilson and Brandon Browner. You get a couple free agents to come in. Delvin Bros, another free agent that they bring in. They draft a couple guys, and then on top of that, You have guys coming back, Terrence Frederick, who started late at the end of last year, Brian Dixon, a guy they like that was a rookie that that played pretty well in some spots, and Stanley Jean-Baptiste, who was a second-round pick last year, um, who was kind of a flop. So I I just named nine guys, uh, and obviously six probably at most are making this roster. Um, So I'm curious about your thoughts now about the logjam, and more specifically, how how big is Stanley Jean-Baptiste's job at risk right now? Because from what I'm looking at and, and how he's performed and who he's going up against, he seems like he's on the outside looking in
1: for me. Well, I'd rather have way too much talent yeah. than not have enough. Uh, uh, you Especially know, after last all year. All I know yeah. is, yeah, last year you looked at that. Wherever Akeman Lewis was not playing, they were throwing the football. I mean, they were throwing it right at him. Uh, With Brandon Brown, you know what you're getting. He's a big physical guy, great wingspan. Um, He's grabby. He's pushy. He's going to get called for penalties because of that. But he is a huge upgrade, which you've had before. I think Delvin Broke is really going to turn out to be an outstanding football player. Uh, It's what happens with the fourth and fifth guys that I think are going to be interesting. Because of the fact that you play a lot of this multiple cornerback set and injuries occur. So, you know, Damian Suarez looked good, P.J. Williams. I know one thing, man. Uh, At Florida State, you're going up against pro style receivers and a pro style quarterback every day in practice, and and that does say a lot. But, you know, Stanley Jean-Baptiste, again, I I shake my head, and why would you use a second-round pick on a guy that was a project player? And, and that's what he was. He was a project player. He's the guy that played a lot of receiver in the junior high school ranks, went to Nebraska as a receiver. He was a puppy uh, as far as cornerback was concerned. He didn't grasp it. The thing that really shocked me last year was, in doing an interview with him, was in asking him about what are the coaches telling you? And he said, they aren't really telling me anything. Well, when a coach doesn't tell you, I'd much rather have a co- somebody tell me, man, the coach is always on me. Because if a coach is on you, that means he thinks you got talent and he's trying to help you. If a coach isn't telling you anything, you're in trouble. And so that was the first indication of uh-oh moment. But yeah. Stanley Jean-Baptiste, physically, well, he looks the part. What well, he my doesn't guess. have is a good grasp of reading a receiver and reading the quarterback very well. He, he's not a he's a rep guy. You got to do it over and over and over and over with him. He's not picking it up quick, and so it is a make or break off season for him because they got talent now that could wipe him out of the out of the mix very well, quickly.
0: One, well, one so thing, Mike, that I brought, I brought up to Ralph.
1: Him, it's one thing I talent. brought
0: up. One thing I brought up to Ralph, Mike, was that, and and I'd love your opinion on this because I feel like you know more about this stuff than I do, but I, I feel like Jean-Baptiste Batiste based on his body and his makeup, he's not a guy that can really play special teams for you. He's not a guy that can really cover the slot because of his height, and he just doesn't have the fluidity and the shiftiness to, to cover a slot receiver. So he's kind of in no man's land because he's either starting, and we know he's not good enough to start, or he can't really help this team. Do you feel like that's accurate?
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of that what you said is is correct, and and it's you know what sometimes when you make a mistake, and and if he doesn't progress, you know what you got to move on. Uh, but you know with Stanley, for you to to say well we knew this was going to happen, but you don't use a second round pick on a guy that that sat the bench What with, with a cavernous hole as big as the Grand Canyon at <laughs> cornerback. And he's watching. He's picking splinters out of his butt uh, on the bench. So what you know, that didn't make any sense to me. None. And that that goes to show you when he, if he couldn't play on this team last year with the lack of talent they had at cornerback, man, what does that tell you about what the coaching staff thought of him as a player? Fair What's point. interesting is is Dennis Allen was brought in, in my opinion, to be the defensive coordinator of the secondary. I'll never forget Greg Williams telling me this uh, a few months after he was hired. He said, "I don't know, I don't know Dennis Allen." He said, uh, "From anybody, but he said, you know what? That guy's a pretty good coach." Uh, later in the season, we had a speaking engagement together, and he told me, he said, you know what? One day that guy can be a head coach in the NFL." He said, man, Woody can really coach the secondary. He's got a good grasp of it. But wow. so when I look at the way that secondary played last year, and I think Dennis was brought in to be the defensive coordinator of the secondary, <clears throat> if Baptiste doesn't show great improvement with Dennis Allen out there, you know what? It's time to move on. It's time to move on with it. Yeah. And they really wiped like Delvin broke. Uh Coach Peyton has talked up about Damian Swan. You know who they have not said one word about? Stanley Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. Just think about it. All yeah. what you've heard in the offseason, you have not heard the head coach, the defensive coordinator, none of them bring up Baptiste. Yeah, they and they brought up, on, for on, they brought up Swan.
2: They brought up Swan. People didn't even ask about him. But, Mike, a couple of quick questions. That's,
1: that's typical of what Sean does. Yeah. He brought up Delvin Bro and Damian Swan without even being pressed. On that, he didn't say one word about Matthews.
2: Yeah. Um, Thanks for giving us so much time. A couple of quick questions, and we'll let you get out of here. But first, I want to bring it back to to Buddy. So I'm going to ask you a a semi-gambling type question. Mike, I'm going to give you $5,000, and you're going to go to Vegas, and you're going to bet on the Saints draft pick. You pick one from 2015 that in three years is either going to be a pro bowler or close to it. Give me the guy you
1: put the five thousand dollars on. In three years. In three years. Uh, I'm going to say Andrew Pete. Ooh. Interesting. I'm going to say. Right. I, I do think that he's he's got that ability to be an all-pro type player.
2: And final question. I know it's really early, but. What's your What's your gut tell you about the 2015 Saints as far as playoff contention and that sort of thing, if they stay reasonably healthy?
1: I think it comes down to New Orleans or Atlanta oh. to win the division. I think Atlanta's maybe the most improved team that I've seen in the NFC this year, um, through what they've done in the offseason. season. Um, you know what? I if hate to hear you say that. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hate to say it too, but I think it's accurate. What they've done pre-agency-wise, draft-wise. And, you know, Quinn walks in and he's already got Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Roddy White. So he's got some places in place already uh, on this football team. The Saints are a 9 of 10 win team. Uh, this is not a team that's, that's headed to the Super Bowl. Are they a playoff team? Uh, I think they've got a shot with that situation. But I, you know what? I, I'm going on the Gilberto line here. There's never been an NFC South team until last year to repeat as champs. The Panthers did. In a a crazy way to do it, but listen, they won it like winning blackjack with with six cards. There's no way the the Panthers are going to win that three straight years. It's going to come down to New Orleans and Atlanta. Only one team from the NFC South gets in. Look who you play the final
2: game. Yeah. Well, Mike.
1: Look what happens that final, that finale.
2: Yeah, well, th- it always kind of works out that way. The NFL, they just kind of magically get these great division games that matter late in the year. That's what makes it so fun. But Mike, I can't thank you enough for giving us forty-five minutes tonight, um, guy. It was, it was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and it's always a pleasure for me to just reminisce about Buddy D. So, guy, thanks for, uh, thanks for t- making time for us tonight.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. Y'all take care. Thank Thank you, Mike.
3: One, two, three, four.